the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Thank God sustains us so well that David concludes the section of the psalm just as he began this section by telling us that we will have more than enough to share with others. Verse 26. All day long he's gracious and lends. He's talking about believers and his descendants are a blessing. True believers, David writes, are a blessing to others by being gracious in loaning their money to others. Some people say that the Bible isn't relevant to our times. Wow. Either they haven't read the Bible or they just got here from another planet. No book is more relevant to our day and age and Psalm 37 is near the top of the relevance list. Hi, this is Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our study is called Fret Not Because of Evildoers. All around us, we see those who hate God having one success after another. From identity theft to terrorism to shady business practices, evil thrives while giving the appearance that nice guys finish last. Psalm 37 corrects that misconception. Last time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve gave us the example of the church in Macedonia, which showed great generosity, even in the midst of extreme poverty that was largely the result of persecution. But if you've ever seen two toddlers with one toy, you know that generosity isn't natural. Here's Pastor Steve. So no one's born generous, no one is born thoughtful, especially towards complete strangers. It takes the work of God takes the grace of God in our lives to transform us from being self-absorbed, stingy tightwads who think only about spending money on ourselves into people who now share our money with others, expecting nothing in return. Now, that's what happens when you are converted. See, the Bible teaches that one of the distinguishing marks of a true believer is that he shares his physical resources with others. That's part of the grace of God demonstrated in their lives. In fact, Ephesians 4, verse 28 says this, He who steals must steal no longer. If you were a thief before you were converted, stop it. Don't do it anymore. You put that off. That's old man behavior, pre-salvation behavior. But rather, now that you're saved, Paul says, He must labor, performing with his own hands what's good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. He's to work hard, make enough money, take care of his own needs. The implication, of course, from other scriptures, take care of your family's needs, but give to others. He'll have something to share with one who has need. That's just part of the Christian life. And John tells us in 1 John 3, 17 and 18, whoever has the world's goods sees his brother in need, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? The implication is it doesn't. And John adds, little children, 
Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. That is to say, don't just tell somebody you love them and say, I'll pray for you as you shiver in the cold and have nothing to eat. But do something about it. Now, why is generosity such a telling evidence of conversion? I mean, it's not the only evidence, but it is a significant one. Listen closely, because when God saves us, he begins to conform us to the very character and nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ, by nature, is absolutely generous and self-giving. The supreme statement in the Bible on the generosity of Christ is found in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is his grace, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul is saying that although Jesus was rich in glory, in the sense that before his incarnation, He was in the form of God and as such possessed all the glory, the power, the honor, the majesty of deity. He became poor by becoming a man. And while he never ceased to be God, he became the God-man, Jesus did give up all those divine riches that he had while in the form of God. So that at salvation... We who are absolutely bankrupt, destitute spiritually, we become spiritually wealthy by possessing all of the unsearchable riches in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are to be generous with our money because Jesus has been generous with us. And he is in the process, this is progressive sanctification of transforming our character to become like his, and that character is generous. Now, I want you to notice something else about these Macedonian believers, verse 2 of chapter 8, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I find that these, these words are a bit awkward. A bit awkward, but essentially what Paul is saying is that the circumstances under which these people gave these Macedonian believers, these Philippians, it was very difficult. He called this time when they gave a great ordeal of affliction. At the time, they were afflicted. No doubt it's a reference to severe persecution at the hands of unbelievers. Secondly, in addition to suffering persecution, we read that these Christians were extremely poor, and that's what I want you to see. Paul mentions their deep poverty. Not just poverty, deep poverty, which means that they were dirt poor. The specific Greek word that he uses here for deep means down to the depth. It means rock bottom. It means as low as it gets. You can't get any lower. And the specific word that the apostle uses for poverty describes the lowest form of poverty, of having nothing, of being completely destitute. When Paul says that these Macedonian Christians were poor, he's acknowledging that they had hit rock bottom economically. And yet, in spite of being physically afflicted, in spite of being financially depleted, he says that they were generous in giving to the relief of the poor believers in Jerusalem. And watch this. They gave with great joy in their hearts. 
He says their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Simply put, folks, this means that in spite of having to scrape the bottom of the barrel, these poor Christians gave joyfully and they gave generously. Now, do you see why Paul used these churches from Macedonia as models of generous giving? It's because they totally disarm anyone who might feel like, well, I'm just too poor to be generous. They destroy all of the excuses we might come up with about holding on to our money because if their awful circumstances didn't hinder them from being generous, then how can any of us refuse to be generous to those who are in need? Now, remember, it was to these Macedonian believers in the church at Philippi, that Paul said that because they were so involved in giving to meet his needs, that God would supply their needs. Now, I take it that this is precisely what David is saying in Psalm 37, that in contrast to wicked unbelievers who can't pay back their debts because they have no money, they've lost their money, believers can rest in the faithfulness of God to meet our financial, material needs to the point where we will have enough, poor though we might be, we will have enough to be gracious in giving to others. Listen, there is no command here to be generous, no command by God to be generous. It's assumed that we'll be generous. But what David says about the believers, the righteous, he says they are gracious. They are givers. It certainly ought to cause us to evaluate our hearts by considering if we are generous towards others, there's always room for improvement in all of us. So are you compassionate in giving to the poor? Is that something that you need to ask the Lord to help you on? Are you disciplined in giving? Do you have a heart to meet the financial needs of those who are hurting? There's always somebody who has less than us no matter how poor you might be. David says that the righteous do this. But if generosity is not a part of your character at all, I mean, it's not even a struggle, then you do have to ask yourself, what's wrong? Is it possible that this lack of generosity is evidence of a far deeper problem, that perhaps you have never experienced God's grace of salvation in your life? Examine your heart. Now, those verses in Psalm 37, took a while to go through. But the other verses in this section won't take that long. So you can go, okay. Because they all tend to feed off of David's teaching that God does give believers enough to be generous to others. So having told us that the first way that God blesses believers materially is that he blesses them with more than we need, David moves on to give us a second way that God blesses believers materially, which is that he sustains them materially through all the ups and downs in life, the financial ups and downs. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Now, David says that the the steps of a man, meaning by steps his ways, his movements, his actions, his behavior, they're established by the Lord. Now note this, the kind of man that David is talking about isn't just any man in general. No, but a man who is a believer. 
We know that because the very next phrase says that he, meaning the Lord, delights in his way. He delights in the way of a believer. And what David means by by all of this is that a godly man's movements have all been sovereignly ordained by God himself. That's what he means when he says he establishes them. This word establish means to be safe, to be secure, because God sovereignly oversees it all, maintains this man's entire life. It's nothing but the sovereignty of God in ordaining his steps. That's a wonderful truth. It's a wonderful, comforting truth to know that the ways of a believer are all under God's control. Concerning this, Charles Spurgeon said, all his course of life is graciously ordained, and in loving kindness, all is fixed, settled, and maintained. No reckless faith, no fickle chance rules us, our every step is the subject of divine decree. What a great truth. You consider that God is even interested in us, but that he ordains all of our steps. And notice he delights in our movements. I love that. He delights in our movements as we press forward in pursuit of obeying him. Imagine the delight you have when you see your children, your grandchildren begin to walk and move and make progress. You delight in that. You take videos of that. God delights in his children and the movements that we make. What happens, though, when we run into trouble? What happens when we have problems, ups and downs, more downs than ups? Where, where is God then, the sovereign God? Does the Lord abandon us? Does he turn away from us? Well, David answers that question in verse 24. When he falls, this righteous man, this believer, he'll not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. David says that when this man, this believer in whom the Lord delights, When he falls, it will not be a fatal fall. He won't fall headlong as in a deadly crash because the Lord, David says, will sustain him. How? He'll hold his hand. Now, what does David mean by all this? Well, there's nothing in the context to indicate that the fall that David is referring to is a moral fall, a plunge into sin, but rather he's talking about some type of financial fall. That's the context a calamity involving the loss of material wealth. And the point that David is making is that when a believer runs into some kind of financial disaster, he can rest in the great truth that God is going to sustain him. David says the Lord will hold his hand. He'll bring him through this. It may look dark. It may look bleak, but he will bring him through this. Listen, no matter what you are going through right now in terms of your finances or what you will go through in the future, and only the Lord knows that, the Lord says, you have his word on it, that he will sustain you through all the financial ups and downs that you will ever experience. Great truth, great comfort. Precisely the point that David was making earlier in the psalm, verses three through nine, when he talked about trusting in the Lord, committing your way to the Lord, which means to cast all of your burdens on him, resting in the Lord, being patient in the Lord. All that has to do with believing that God will take care of you materially, even during those difficult times in life when you don't know how you are going to make it financially. He's got you by the hand. He's leading you through it. He's sovereign, and he's good, and he's wise. The Lord is always faithful 
to take care of his own. As the hymn writer so wondrously put it, great is thy faithfulness. Isn't that exactly what David was talking about when he wrote the famous Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The reason David had no wants is because he knew that he could count on God. God was his shepherd, and God would take care of him as one of the sheep. He'll provide for him. So he has no wants because God meets his his wants, his needs. And you can trust him too. And that's the point of this. You can trust him too. The Lord will never let you down. He'll never abandon you. He'll never let go of you. He's got you by the hand, no matter what your needs are. And to press home this point even further, David closes this section by telling us a third way that God blesses his people materially. He's already told us that he blesses his people by giving them more than they need. He's told us that he blesses his people by sustaining them materially through the ups and downs of life. He now tells us that God never forsakes his people so that they fail to have enough material goods to live, to be sustained. Verse 25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Now, based on what we read here, we know that David wrote this this psalm as an older man, advanced in age. We don't know how old, but he tells us that once he was young, now he's old. And in all of his many years, and there's been many from his youth to his old age, he has never once seen a believer forsaken by the Lord or any of the believer's children begging bread because God had abandoned them. In other words, he's saying that God will never stop providing for his own, for his own people, for his own children. As David looks back and he reflects on his many years, the many years that he has lived and known the Lord, he can't recall a single incident when God abandoned a believer, stopped providing for him and said, you're on your own, good luck. Now, it doesn't mean that God... Never lets people have financial difficulties. David's just told us about that, that there are ups and downs. Nor does it mean that believers never grow hungry because food supplies sometimes do get low. But the point that David is making is that a believer can always count on God to sustain him, to sustain others of his people by providing for the needs because he'll never abandon them to die of hunger. Listen, this is the very point that Jesus was making in the Lord's Prayer when he said, when you pray, pray, give us this day our daily bread. Sustain us, Lord, with what we need today. That's praying in the will of God. This is true not only in our country where we're spoiled with more food than we need, but it's also true for believers in economically poor third world countries. He does that. This is why the Lord told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount that they didn't need to worry about food and clothing. He said, isn't life more than that? Don't worry about that. Don't don't be like the pagans. That's what they're obsessed with. But you, unlike the pagans, you have a loving heavenly father who cares for you. You're more important than birds. He'll take care of you. He'll provide for you. And I remind you, our Lord, just before going back to glory, said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. In fact, God sustains us so well that David concludes this section of the psalm 
just as he began this section by telling us that we will have more than enough to share with others. Verse 26, all day long he's gracious and lends. He's talking about believers, and his descendants are a blessing. True believers, David writes, are a blessing to others by being gracious in loaning their money to others. Now, according to the law of Moses, a Jewish person was not to charge interest in loaning their money. So there was no personal gain to be made at the expense of somebody's hardship. But the point that David is making here is that the reason this believer has the money in the first place to loan to somebody is because God doesn't forsake him. He sustains him. He sustains him with enough material goods for himself, his family, and for others who are in need. So how do we apply these truths to our lives? Well, for one thing, for one thing, we should stop worrying about money and start thanking the Lord that he has promised to supply our needs. These would be good verses to memorize, meditate on. You don't have to worry about money. Such an acceptable sin in our culture to worry about money. But Jesus said, don't worry about money. Stop being anxious about it. Secondly, we need to determine that we are going to be generous, pursue generosity, be disciplined to be generous, be thinking about it, and give some of our resources to others who have needs because that's what people who have been saved by grace do. They're supposed to be gracious by being generous. So, You and I ought to be looking for opportunities to be generous with others. Even if you don't have a great deal yourself, you always have enough to give to someone who's in need. And for those who are without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know the Savior. He's a name to you. He's a word. He's a Bible character. But you don't know him personally. You need to see and ponder how gracious God is. Christ, who is fully God, became poor by becoming a man so that we might become spiritually rich in him. See, without Jesus Christ, you are spiritually, you may have a lot of money, but you are spiritually destitute. You are a bankrupt sinner. You have no righteousness to commend yourself before God. If you were to die in that state, you would not go to heaven. Because God requires the righteousness of Jesus Christ on your record. And he requires that all all your sin must be forgiven. And he will not forgive apart from faith in Christ. Christ died for sinners. When you trust him to be your savior and, and cast your eternal destiny upon him and his death on the cross, God forgives your sins and he takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ who perfectly obeyed the law and he places that on your account. That's when you become wealthy in Christ. Right now, you have nothing to commend yourself before God. So I urge you, turn to Christ before it's too late. Cast yourself upon him for his mercy and salvation. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you that you are faithful. You are a loving father who cares about us, Lord, Thank you for all the times that so many of us can look back and see that you were faithful. When we didn't know where money was coming from, when we wondered 
where we would have the money to pay our bills, to take care of what we consider to be necessities. You always have come through. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for showing us that you are kind and you are interested in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to not only praise you and trust you and not worry, but to be determined to be generous and thoughtful to others. For someday, this world will be over. And as John puts it, all the things in this world will be gone too. Help us. Help us while we're here to use our resources for your honor and your glory. Help us, Lord, when we go into restaurants, to be mindful of those who wait upon us to be gracious. Even if, even if the service is not the best, help us to be gracious and kind to them and to reflect Christ in our generosity. Lord, we do pray also for those without Christ. We pray that you'll open their hearts to the gospel. Lord, only you can do that. Only you can do that. We pray that they will see their need for Christ and turn to him and cast themselves upon you for salvation. All of this, Lord, we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've recently seen your need for a Savior, please feel free to give us a call. I'll give you the phone number in a few seconds. And I hope that each of you is finding this series of lessons from Psalm 37 to be an encouragement. Thanks for joining us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. To find out more about Lakeside, Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.